Taco Brothers Podcast. Where two brothers from another mother come together to talk about what's going on in urban pop culture, sports, music, health, and real issues that face our community. These people here, what they do, they for real. All straight with no chaser and a splash of comedy. <laughs> Very funny. This is Talk, Talk, Talk of Brothers Podcast. Let's get this thing going. And now your hosts, Godi and Smash. We interrupt your regular scheduled programming to bring you a Taka Brothers podcast short. What's happening, everybody? It's your boy, Godi. And it's your boy, Smash, coming at you. And welcome to another Taka Brothers podcast short. We have a special guest, Charles, um, on the line with us. What's up, Charles? What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Uh, pretty good, man. Doing good, man. So Charles, give us a little a little insight about uh, you and your shows and and your background about what you guys got going over there with your podcast. So uh, we started kind of towards the end of the NFL season this past year as a sports podcast. Um, we cover all of Louisiana sports, and it's not as much our opinions as it is we bring in guests. We look to bring in guys, whether they're from the local media or whether they're from national media. We've had guys like Chris Broussard on, Peter Burns, uh, Jason Whitlock, guys like that. And we've also gotten into some player interviews. But as football season is coming upon us, um, there's going to be a lot of football content. And as soon as the Pelicans start, uh, basketball will be heating up again. And lucky for us in terms of the sports world over here in Louisiana, our professional teams are playing well. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the fall starting. Say it again, Charles. Uh, what professional teams are doing well? They're playing well. Oh, oh here we go. <laughs> you know, Smash is, Smash is my co-host, and he's a big Georgia boy, so he loves the Falcons, and he loves Florida State football. So this is kind of – he's, like, under protest right now doing this interview. So give me some – so what's the name of – I know you guys have, like, a network. What's some of the net, names of your, your shows on your network? Um, so we have the Bros Who Think Network, which originally started a little over a year ago, and they kind of – go more into culture topics. Um, they have a lot of local rappers on, uh, a lot of local artists in general, not just rappers. Um, they've got people that are involved in doing stuff inside of the community. Um, they talk to people, whether they be in fashion or food, a lot of stuff around Lafayette, but they've also gone national. Um, we also have a show about anime, if you're an anime fan, called Anime Talk, and a new show that just started, Bros Who Binge, um, and, and that gets into a lot of not only TV shows, but also movies, comics, and stuff like that. And they just covered Comic-Con that was over in San Diego. So there's a lot of diversity. Uh, and if y'all have any female audience or female listeners out there, uh, we also have a YouTube show uh, with Danielle Jay. And she kind of talks about some current topics, but she pretty much helps the ladies get ready. Uh, and that comes out on Fridays. And she talks about different you know, hairstyles, uh, ways to do makeup and stuff like that so there's a lot of content over at bros who think but um i focus mainly on the sports so yeah and i and i and i listened to your show and that's what took me aback because i see you had mike the tiller and some other uh louisiana guys that's really that's really in the know in the louisiana sports scene and that's like let me reach out to charles man and, and get him on the show because i know he's really about his about his business as far as his podcast go so that was really took me aback but i had a question so how does danielle feel about uh 
Bros Who Think Network. She didn't she didn't uh buck you guys to change the name up a little bit. Well, you know, the name was originally put in place, and we had another girl show um, that is no longer with us, and so it, it it wasn't as much of a transition. She's really bought into the idea of, you know, we're creating not only content, but we're appeasing the culture. You know, we're, in a way, the podcast was started to bring like minds together to create positive change and we've kind of just gone in all different directions in terms of what we're doing on the network yeah and we do have a, a big following a female following so um if you get a chance to let her know that we would love to have her on the show as well because those type of topics we definitely cover especially as far as, far as you know cosmetics and um just the ladies type of aspects so that would definitely fit right into our wheelhouse as well and i i'm definitely got to sit take some time out and and listen to the show i only listened to the prime time so far but i have to get down sit down and listen to the rest of them but let's jump right into this football thing um today we're we have for our listeners we're doing a uh a, a four-week series on football leading up into the football season so first up um, we're going to have Charles come in, and he's he's going to be our LSU expert. And then we'll have uh, Smash's uh, expert as far as, and I probably, if Charles has time, we'll bring him back to do the Saints, and we'll do the Falcons. So you guys be on the lookout for that, but this will be the first installation of that. So, Charles, let me get the first question, the hottest question in Louisiana right now. Who do you think will start at quarterback for LSU? You know, the interesting thing about the starting position at quarterback is you look at Vegas. Vegas had odds out on every quarterback position that had a, you know, a competition. And LSU and Michigan were two schools that were out there. And there were so many people betting for Joe Burrow that they took the odds down. Uh, because I think that it's set in stone. Joe Burrow is your quarterback. And I'll put it to you this way is I had a conversation with someone close to the program and after spring, you know, they were a little nervous. And when Joe Burrow was coming to campus, they said, we have to land this guy. And they did. Right. And so Joe Burrow isn't coming to sit on the bench. He's coming in to start, whether it be one year or two years. Uh, Joe Burrow is your starter over at LSU. So with follow up, do you, so do you, how does that play with Brennan and McMillan um, as far as do you think one of those would transfer? I think that first off, McMillan is gone as soon as the summer is over because he's going to be a graduate transfer. Uh, that way he doesn't have the restrictions of sitting out a year. Uh, as far as a guy like Narcisse, I could see Narcisse leaving. Although personally, I would love to see some packages for Narcisse being that type of guy that is a dual threat uh, quarterback. And, and Brennan, you know, Brennan's coming along. Um, I heard something the other day on the radio, and they said that, you know, if Brennan, when he went into the Troy game, would have won that game, they would have put Edling to the side and groomed Brennan to be the quarterback for the next three years. So I think Brennan, you know, will wait his time, and his time will come. But um, I, I think Brennan stays. I could see uh, a guy like McMillan leaving as soon as fall camp starts, and Narcisse is probably gone. Uh, if not, LSU gets pretty lucky in that situation. Yeah, I, I, my my take on it, I, I hope it plays out this way, and it's just my opinion. 
one of them has to redshirt. I would think, I would hope that Coach O would get someone to say, hey, redshirt this year, either Narcisse or Brennan. Redshirt this year, the other one plays backup. Then that way you'll still have three quarterbacks actually staggered behind each other. But, you know, in the quarterback want to play now uh, era, I can see what you're saying definitely come true where one of one of both actually transfers. Yeah, and that's the way that college football uh, has turned into at the quarterback position. If a guy doesn't get playing time in his first year or two, he's looking to leave and sit out a year so he can play that one year and maybe go into the NFL. Uh, personally, I don't think it would benefit a guy like Vernon leaving. Narcisse, it could. Uh, Narcisse was a talented quarterback coming out of high school, but he's had the ACL injuries. He really hasn't seen what Narcisse can do in a while, uh, but he was definitely talented before he went down with that injury. Is that good news for you, Smash, or bad news? No, nah, I mean, you know, I, once again, I'm not an LSU fan, but, you know, I respect all the aspects of football. And one question I got for you, Charles, is um, I know I'm, I'm going to throw you a softball first. So I'm going to start off like that. But um, I know LSU always has a record of having a good running back. So who starts at running back this year for LSU? It looks like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be the name at the top of the depth chart. Uh, behind him, maybe Nick Brissett comes out and shows something that we've been waiting for him to show for years. But I really think that you're going to see something from a freshman coming in. Maybe it'd be a guy like Curry or another running back stepping in. But I could see it being a uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire backfield with a guy like Curry um, being right behind him. Okay. And so you so you really think hilarious? I mean, I've watched the spring game and I've watched uh, – um, I've seen Curry in high school – and I, I, I actually like Curry, but Hilaire is just, the way they're talking about him, it's like he's so dynamic that he's just, you just can't keep him off the field. Uh, he is. Uh, his pass-catching ability out of the backfield is off the charts. You have to remember, Claude came after Darius Geis at Catholicot. Right. right. So he's always been behind somebody. This is the first time that he is the, he's the guy. He's the dude. He's got to step up this year. And you've seen his workout videos. You've seen his work ethic is great. But can that translate to the field? That's the question. In high school, he was a dynamic back that some people thought he did some things better than Darius did. Uh, he's not the violent runner that Darius is. He doesn't have that chip on his shoulder as much. But I do think that Clyde, behind the offensive line that LSU has, can have a successful season. Not saying he's a thousand yard back, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him put up seven, eight hundred yards this year. That's huge. That's definitely what we need because my, for me, my biggest question marks right now as far as offensive goes, I'm actually I feel better about the offensive line, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but my biggest question mark was quarterback, and will LSU take the the initiative to actually have a dynamic offense, at least cater to your personnel and not force feed uh, around a round hole into a square peg, a square peg into a round hole. Um, do you think that we'll see a more of a three wide receiver sets, four wide receiver sets going down uh, this year in, in Baton Rouge? I think you have to. You look at what Nick Saban did. Nick Saban at LSU in the first couple of years at Alabama liked the ground and pound type of offense. Um, but under Les Miles, he wasn't willing to adapt. He wasn't willing to change his offensive style to fit the players he had. And I think that's something that Stevens Minger understands is that you look at this LSU depth chart, and while their offensive line is good, 
uh, their quarterback, from what I've heard about Joe Burrow, is he's a, he's a dude. You know, he can step up, he can sling the ball, he can throw some of those passes that Danny couldn't. And you, the receivers, I mean, you start out with a guy like Jonathan Giles, who's a transfer from Tech. Um, the Texas Tech is last year, he had 13 touchdowns in that right. season. Right. So you've, you've got some four- and five-star athletes that can go up and get the ball, and you're loaded at that receiver position. So I, you know, Ed Ogeron's preaching 50-50. I'm not sure. In the perfect world, it's 50-50. But, you know, if you have a lead in the game, you're probably going to run 60-40 in terms of run to pass. Uh, could you have a game where, you know, you pass it more than 50% of the time? Yes. Um, but I will say this. I do not think that you will have a game this year like last year where you didn't have a receiver make a catch. I don't think that'll happen. I do, I do see a lot of three and four wide receiver sets because you have that much talent at wide receiver. Charles, I'm going to hold you to that, man. I'm, I'm definitely going to hold you to that. But before, before uh, that, let's p- jump back to the running back situation real quick. I, I think it was your show or another show that, that Geis was really high on Hilaire about how physical and how dynamic he is as a running back. And I just hope that comes true because um, watching him in the spring game and, and um, just hearing the, and people in the know talk about him, I'm hoping that he can be that that dynamic player um, where he can definitely get at least multi-purpose, like get 1,200 multi-purpose yards in all aspects of, of the actual game. Yeah, that would be huge if, if he can get that many yards um, just as a running back. They had him as a returner last year. I don't think that's the case this year. I think you have enough athletes on this team to replace him, and you don't want him getting an injury returning a kickoff, but if he has 1,200 yards out of the backfield and, you know, catching passes, um, I think LSU will have a solidified running back, not only for this year, but for next year as well. And so you had said something, um, you had brought up Coach Ogeron earlier, so I got a question for you on that. Uh, where do you feel that Coach uh, Ogeron ranks amongst SEC coaches, and do you think he's on the hot seat this year? I'll go with your last question first. Uh, in terms of the hot seat, look, if Ed Ogeron goes out and only wins four games this year, yes, he's on the hot seat. But I think LSU understands that you have to let a coach develop his system. And after two years, I don't think that's enough time for a coach to be able to step in and make the necessary changes he needs to make. A lot of people want to say this is his third year because he was the interim coach for half a season. But this is his true second year, getting his recruits, getting his coaches in place, and, you know, you saw the whole Canada issue last year where he went out and hired the big name hire. Uh, Ed has shown that he's a guy that likes to have guys on his staff that he's comfortable with, that he knows uh, from previous coaching experiences. And that's why he got, has, he, you know, he went out and got Steve Ensminger as his offensive coordinator. And, and you know, in terms of, of hot seat as well, Joe Oliva would have to be fired before Ed goes. Uh, similar to what happened in Arkansas, because I think Joe Oliva is tied at the hip with Ogeron. You know, this is his big hire. This is, you know, this defines Oliva's career. And, and in terms of ranking him in coaches, you know, it's really hard because you've got two big names at the top. Uh, you know, Nick Saban's number one, um, and no one's even close to him. And I think the addition of Jimbo Fisher at A and M puts him up to number two. So I, I really like Jimbo Fisher. You know, he's got a national title. Uh, no no other coach in the SEC has that, you know, on his resume. Um, and you have to look at what Georgia's doing with Kirby Smart. Been very impressive, as well as Dan Mullen. Um, Ed Ogeron hasn't won enough games to show 
as a head coach that he's you know number one number two you know with some of these top four guys right yes uh, does he right. have the ability to I think he does uh, as a defensive line coach he's off the charts I mean, that is one of the best defensive line coaches in the country okay will LSU compete in the West it depends on how they start a lot of people are making a big play on this Miami game and I think it's very important if you can go out and beat Miami not only does it boost your confidence but it takes away a game that some people thought they would lose, um, hurting their record. You know, those big games, that Auburn game is huge. If LSU can go out and steal one at Auburn, then they're looking at an SEC, uh, an SEC record at 5-0 and going into that Florida game, which is also pivotal. Uh, the West is stacked. Um, Auburn has a tough schedule, as well as LSU, and you've got teams like A&M that are rising. You've got teams like Mississippi State that has a very good roster. For LSU to compete, they're going to have to upset some people. And, you know, one of these other SEC West teams, they're going to have to fall as well. Um, I really don't think you see an undefeated team in the SEC West this year, which, which bodes well for LSU chances. But in terms of experience, it's hard to say that they're going to compete for the West this year. So you're on record saying that Alabama's going to actually lose more than one game or they're going to lose at least one game? I, I think they lose at least one game in the West with uh, the gauntlet that the SEC West is this year, uh, more so than it has been in the past. So with that LSU-Miami game, because um, that's that's a big game and I know that's on y'all's mind, what's your prediction? Who do you think uh, wins that game? I, Man, it's hard to go on record and say this, but I really think that LSU is going to win this game. Um, it, it kind of hinders on my superstition, but I, I think that LSU in the trenches is vastly improved from what they were a year ago to, you know, even two or three years ago. They've got a lot of depth at the defensive tackle and defensive end position. They've got depth on the offensive line and they have talent at both positions that, you know, I think outranks Miami's talent and Miami still has issues at quarterback. Uh, people are saying, look, they're bringing a lot of guys back, but they didn't improve their quarterback position. They have the same guy back there in the backfield um, that had issues winning that big game. So, you know, you look at the game being at Dallas, it's really going to be more of more of a home game for LSU than a road or, or a neutral site feel with the amount of LSU fans that live in Dallas and the proximity to Louisiana that Dallas is. Yeah, and I, I definitely will be one of those in, in that number to – to root the Tigers on, um, I, I, I'm like you. I, I think you can't discount the, the players that they lost and think that they will be they will get the same results um, like we actually have, like they actually having right now. I mean, the previous year, I should say. I don't think he, I don't think he actually duplicates the same results, especially coming out of, of preseason into a big game like this. And Rick is known for always blowing the big game, so I, I think. LSU will will win it. It will be a fight. Don't get me wrong. It won't be a blowout. But I think in the end, like you said, with the crowd in, in their favor, um, just the sheer the sheer experience on the defensive line, offensive line, the depth. I'm glad to see more depth on the offensive line as well this year. I think that will catapult us to a victory in that game. Wow. Okay. We, we'll we'll wait and see. I'm I'm kind of going with Miami just over the speed, but I know LSU like. I don't know what it is about LSU, but y'all don't fit uh, quit until the end of the game. I will give y'all that. So y'all fight all the way through. So, and, and you look at the Miami game, you know, LSU has the potential to be a top 10 front seven. 
Uh, and when you have a front seven like that, it can make up for some deficiencies at that second cornerback position uh, because, you know, Greedy's back there. He's, you know, he, he is the best cornerback in the country. Um, but at that number two position, you have some unexperienced guys that are, you know, I think Miami's going to try to attack. But running the ball on LSU this year is going to be a difficult task for any team. And that leads me into my next question. Who do you think starts opposite of Greedy? You know, looking at, uh, at what's going on with Christian Fulton, I think is very important in, in terms of the depth start for that second cornerback position. Uh, if Christian Fulton can get cleared by the NCAA, I could see him starting at that second cornerback position. But if he doesn't, I, I'm really looking at a guy like Kerry Vincent uh, to step in, at, you know, as a, as a sophomore um, and show that he has the ability to lock guys down. Do you think Netherly gets any playing time in the secondary or you think he's still in that learning curve situation? I think he's in the learning curve. There's, there are a lot of guys that are going to be ahead of Netherly this year, uh, whether it be a guy like Kelvin Joseph, who uh, Aranda has been raving about. You can't forget about guys like uh, John Trey Kirkland and the transfer and Terrence Alexander, too, that came over from Stanford. Um, I, I just don't see Manny Netherly getting that much playing time. He's athletic, but transitioning from wide receiver to cornerback that late in your career, especially in college, is really hard to do. Lucky for him, he has one of the best defensive back coaches out there to focus on him. But um, I really think this is Kerry Vincent's spot at the number two spot at cornerback. And I'm, I'm actually in Houston, so I've, I've been to several of Netherly games. That's why I asked about it, because he's such a dynamic player. Watching him play in high school, go from cornerback um, the safety to wide receiver, play quarterback, and he could turn he could turn the switch on and off at a, at a, a drop of a dime. So athletically, I know he's there, but I, I'm like you. I think mentally, he's just not ready to to compete at this level. But I'm I'm with you, um, Vincent. Is I definitely want to see Vincent if folk could get his, get cleared by the NCAA. Um, that should be one heck of a nickel package putting LSU putting on the field. So then sticking with the defensive side of the ball, who do you see starting on the defensive line? Uh, I think it's pretty set in stone that Braden Fajoko, Rashard Lawrence are starting ends on this team. And uh, Edwin Alexander right now is your starting nose tackle. But I've heard a lot about Glenn Logan making some play for his starting spot. Uh, Ed Ogeron has been talking very highly on Logan uh, and even said that he's pushing for a starting role. But your two guys in Rashard Lawrence and Brave Fajoko, um, I mean, we all know what Rashard Lawrence has in his tool bag. Uh, he's a, uh, one of the top defensive linemen in the SEC. And a guy in Braden Fajoko that transferred from Texas Tech, what they were saying from practice last year is he was taking on double teams and sometimes requiring a third guy to block him, that he was that disruptive along the defensive line. Um, I really see a lot of depth, too, behind those guys, too. But your, your starting three are going to be up there with the best starting defensive line uh, in terms of the country, not, not only just the SEC. I hope so. Charles, I'm holding you to this, man. You're giving me some good... You make me feel good, Charles, <laughs> going to this season. You make me feel real good. So how do you think, like I spoke on it before, I think offensive line-wise, I think we're experienced, and I think we have better depth. What's your take on it? I think for the first time in a long time, you have true tackles playing tackle. Uh, under Les Miles, you saw him kind of go away from that. He recruited more of guards and had the best guards 
switch out to that tackle position. Um, and two guys in Sadiq Charles and a guy like Austin Deculus, those are big boys that can play the tackle position. So I think you're solid up there. And if Garrett Brunfield uh, can make that transition to center, I, I really see this whole offensive line as being a bunch of road graders. Yeah, and that'll help. That'll help out the running game a lot because I, I'm still questioning. Usually LSU always finds a running game, so I just that's what makes me feel good about this offensive line that they'll have those true role graders, like you said, that can open up some holes and let these like Curry and uh, Provorn get a chance to actually find their legs um, running through some nice size holes. Say, hey, I agree with you. You know, uh, I think it's going to take a while for Curry to get his legs under him. You saw even a guy like Leonard Fournette, it took him until October to really get some significant snaps and have an impact on the LSU offense. So I could see Curry taking a while to come along. But when you have an offensive line like that, I mean, you've seen it in the NFL with Dallas's offensive line. Uh, before they got Ezekiel Elliott, you know, their running backs had productive seasons because of how talented that offensive line was. Uh, and I see a similar situation with LSU. He is painting a good picture. It seems like LSU is going to go in there um, and look pretty good this season. Um, but looking at your schedule, do, would you say that y'all have one of the hardest schedules out there this year? Yeah, I would say that if it's not the most difficult schedule, we have the second most difficult schedule behind Auburn in the SEC itself. Uh, you have a lot of difficult road games. And while you do have some winnable home games, uh, you have some very difficult opponents coming into Tiger Stadium. And the way that you have that, you know, four-week schedule where you play Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, a bye, and then Alabama, that's going to be difficult for LSU to win um, a lot of those games. It's looking more like a stretch where they possibly could go 2-2 two and two or 1-3 and three in those four. I really think it depends on where the program is trending by the time that Florida game comes uh, to see what happens. But... You know, LSU could be in a situation where they have four losses before they even play Alabama. Say it ain't so, Charles. Say it ain't <laughs> so. I, 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 I just feel that these first two games on their schedule, with the Miami game, with a cupcake in the middle, sandwiched in between the, the, uh, the Miami game and the Auburn game, I think that's going to, to me, that's going to be a telltale for the whole season. I think they're either going to get up and play hard all year or you're going to see sort of a coasting type situation going down the stretch unless Coach O can pick them back up but that's a that's a really tough uh, just to come out the door with those three games that's pretty tough on a on a team that's trying to find themselves in 2018 yeah I agree with you there you know the Miami game I think is really the biggest game uh, in the past 10 years for LSU besides that Oregon game you know, some people have been saying the Wisconsin game this past week because it was really what led to Les Miles being fired. But I look at that Miami game and I, and I say to myself, you know, if LSU can win that game, they can potentially get on a roll and then maybe, you know, go into Auburn and upset Auburn. You have to remember, though, Auburn is very talented. So if LSU loses that Miami game, I, I can't, you know, it's, it's very difficult for me to see them going out and beating Auburn. And in a situation like that, you know, you're two and two after your first four and you start SEC play with Ole Miss, Florida, and then, you know, you get into that gauntlet of Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama. Um, while they are home games, those are very talented teams top to bottom. Yeah, de definitely. You're, you're right about that. And I don't, I, I'm on record, I, I'm thinking that LSU has the hardest schedule. 
I mean, I look at Auburn, they have Washington. They play Southern Miss, Tennessee, AM, Liberty, uh, Alabama, of course, Georgia. And I just don't see where with Alabama State as well. I, I just think LSU just has a – it's like nitpicking. Whoever you ask, they'll tell you they're definitely one and two. It just depends on who you ask and who has the toughest schedule, I would think. I think it depends on what people think about home field advantage. You know, right. Auburn's two biggest games this year are at Georgia and at Alabama. So, you know, that's that's a difficult aspect of their schedule. Besides that, I mean, if you go opponent by opponent – um, and, and say, let's play these games on a neutral site, then I would say that LSU has a more difficult schedule because of who they have to play and their cross-divisional opponent this year is Georgia. And every year they play Florida. So they've got two teams that can compete with the SEC West, uh, which makes their schedule a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and, and I just think the Alabama-LSU game is it's always – I don't think home field advantage, to me, it never really plays into a factor. That game there is going to be a, a real physical game. They're going to either – whoever's the most physical team that day, whoever plays the smartest that day, usually wins that game. But Auburn, you know like I know, Charles, you go down into Auburn, which makes it a very, very difficult game because we always see year after year there's always some kind of questionable call that happens down in Auburn to George Hare where we, we don't get that call and that would be a pivotal turn in that actual game. Yeah, you know, going into Jordan-Hare is one of the most difficult places LSU has to play uh, year after year or, or every other two years. Um, you know, Jordan-Hare is the stadium where Brendan Harris just got his first start, and you saw LSU get, you know, to put it nicely, uh, demolished. Um, and it was from the very beginning. Uh, Auburn just took over that game. And then you look at the game uh, two years ago where LSU almost won that game, but you know, the clock had run out. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, they they lost. While every LSU fan thought they won, and myself included, um, you know, that was part of the reason why Les Miles got fired, is that game, you know, losing that game. Going into that game, if you remember, Gus Malzahn and Les Miles were both on the hot seat. Yep. And it was really the game for their job. And after LSU lost, you know, Les was pretty much out. And Gus Malzahn kept his job. And look, Gus is around. And, and Auburn this year thinks they have a chance to win the West. I agree with you. And I remember me and my family sitting there watching the game, man. And they threw that touchdown in the back of the end zone. And we just celebrated. It just took the life out of us. And then I, I instantly knew that he was fired. You know, that was a game for who was going to get fired. And it, and it kind of fun. That was a, a real, real funny season because it turned back around again. Remember when Sumlin was on the hot seat, whoever won the LSU Texas A&M game was on the hot seat. So it kind of, that's how tumultuous the SEC is. And I don't, I don't discount Auburn. I don't discount Alabama. I don't discount um, the teams in the West because any one of those teams can come up and bite you. I kind of, Georgia, I kind of look at Georgia as kind of smoke and mirrors. How will they re will replace all of those starters that went on to the NFL and got drafted. You, you just don't plug those guys in. The starting quarterback from is hurt now. Will he come back 100%? So I don't really think Georgia, to me, will will bounce back the way that they everybody predict them to bounce back on paper. Yeah, you know, Georgia has a lot of guys to replace on the defensive side of the ball as well. 
Um, and a lot of people are playing that Georgia, you know, is, is this loaded team again. But they have to, you know, people have to remember that Georgia lost a lot of talent to the NFL this year. Um, so replacing that talent, I think it's going to be difficult. I think, you know, offensively, bringing their quarterback back, I think they, they will be fine in terms of the passing game. But you also have to replace your running back. Um, so Georgia has a lot of turnover on their roster. It just depends if LSU can get them early enough on in the year where guys aren't, you know, prepared for that game. Uh, because, you know, playing in Tiger Stadium is very difficult for any team. And I think that the crowd is going to be pretty amped up for that Georgia game. Hopefully LSU is positioned where they're, you know, five and one, four and two or something like that. So the fans do show out for that game. And, and if that's the case, then I, I, you know, I see that Georgia game being a lot more difficult for Georgia than people are saying right now. With that, um, with Georgia, you know, rebuilding and you already saying that y'all are going to lose possibly a couple games in the beginning. What do you feel that LSU's final record would be overall? And then where would they fall in the SEC as well? Hey, man, you know, it really depends on that first game. If they can win that first game, then, you know, going into that Florida game, I, I see them as being a team that is four and one and, and going into Florida and beating them. Um, and, and then you're five and one going into that Georgia game. And once that game comes, anything can happen. Uh, I still find it hard. A lot of people are saying Mississippi State is talented. And while they are, they have a new coach. And their new coach isn't Dan Mullen. Uh, I think Dan Mullen is a heck of a coach. You know, just couldn't get over the Mississippi State hump. Um, and because of that, I think LSU should be able to win that Mississippi State game. It, you know, it's just the big heavy hitters again, the Auburn, the Georgia, the Alabama. And yet, even after look at A&M this year, although, you know, Jimbo's in his first year and it is at Kyle Field, I'm not sure if their roster is ready to beat LSU. So it's best case scenario. I'd say that LSU goes nine and three this year. Um, maybe they get lucky and go ten and two. Um, but you facing a situation where an eight and four, or a seven, seven and five is possible uh, to stick in the middle. I'd probably go with an eight and four season for LSU, and uh, I, I think that would put them as either third or fourth in the West. I'm kind of kind of differ a little bit with that. I think nine wins would be would be excellent 10 wins will be almost like winning the championship for this team because of the schedule um i don't i don't think AM's ready i think there's still a holdover of that mediocre front defensive line offensive line with AM. they definitely always have what i always call them the fun bunch they always have these dynamic wide receivers and running backs and you know a prolific quarterback but nobody can withstand the rush of alabama the rush of lsu so i think that's going to push a&M back a step. We already know what Ole Miss is going to be like. Um, Mississippi State, they kind of, the SEC Media Day, they ranked Mississippi State ahead of them. I, I don't think that coach can week in and week out endure the SEC. He's a good coach, but I don't think the, the struggles of the SEC schedule will play in him. With, with those, they will lose two or three games, and I'm leaning towards three games for Mississippi State. And I, like you said, that pivotal game, all Alabama is a toss-up. Auburn is a toss-up. Um, so I figure that they will finish second in the West if they beat Auburn week two, week three. They beat Auburn, they'll finish second. If they lose to Auburn, then you're right, they'll finish third. But I, I still think they'll, they'll be able to pull off a, a, at least a nine-win season. Yeah, if they can pull off a nine-win season, that, that's a notch and uh, an edge. Oh. 
you know, just his resume is doing what he did this year because that schedule is very difficult. And if he can go out and win a 10th game in a bowl game, um, I mean, that's really going to be an upward trend because then I think you keep all of these recruits that LSU has right now and they finish with a top five, top three recruiting class. And there's a lot of positive news with LSU having a quarterback reloading their front seven again. Um, there, there's a lot of things to look forward to for LSU football. If they can pull off uh, nine regular season wins or even eight. Um, and, and get the nine with or ten with a bowl game. So, so le- that leads me to my next question. So, speaking of recruits, what recruits do you think will that's coming in that's in the class now? Which recruits that will touch the field this year in twenty eighteen? That's going to be the most impactful for LSU season this year. Well, if you include transfers, um, guys that are newcomers to the team, then I would say that you know Jonathan Giles and Braden Fahoka would be at the top of the list. As well as Cole Tracy, uh, the kicker coming in this year that, uh, Ed O'Shaughnessy went and got. He's a senior transfer. Um, and you think about last year with the kicking game, they had a lot of issues. I mean, they lost that Notre Dame game because of kicking. Uh, they couldn't rely on the guy to make give me kicks. Um, but, but in terms of a freshman coming in, um, I, I look at a guy like, uh, Kelvin Joseph, a talented defensive back making a big impact. And also the receivers. Uh, I know we talked about Curry, and I think Curry does make a big impact. But a guy like Jamar Chase, you know, he looks like a veteran uh, collegiate football player. He doesn't look like a freshman. Um, he's fast. He's talented. He can go up and high point a ball. Uh, I really could see Jamar, uh, Jamar Chase making a big impact on the field along with Curry. So you've got two or three guys that are true freshmen coming in that I do think get some significant playing time other than special teams. So who would be the, on that 2018 recruiting class, who would be the one player that, like you speak of all the big names that we all know are the obvious, what is that one player that you think that was going to come out of nowhere and just surprise everybody this year? Out of those three I named or someone outside someone of Someone outside the, the, the known, the top, the four, the four and five stars that we know that's going to actually be impactful um, on, the, on the, the field this year. Ooh. Um... And if I was going to go there, I would probably say, you know, one of the freshman receivers coming in, uh, maybe a guy like Terrence Marshall, who is, you know, kind of behind DeMar Chase in terms of his ability, but he did come in early. Um, you got to see some of his, his abilities in that spring game. So Terrence Marshall could be a guy that makes a big impact in terms of freshman this year. So, so, you're, so you're saying that you think Terrence Marshall is less polished than Jamar Chase at this particular moment? I would say that, I mean, you look at Jamar Chase and, and his abilities, uh, I think, make Jamar Chase um, a guy that can pass up some of these juniors and, and seniors that are on the team at the wide receiver position. Qu- quicker than a guy like Terrence Marshall. Look, Terrence Marshall has all the abilities, uh, but he is coming off of an injury. You have to remember that as well. And that's true. Yeah, I, I didn't take that into account. You're right about that. And for me, I... I, I... I say this name over and over again. I just think, I just think Chris Curry is gonna wow us all. I think between him and Hilaire and Provine, I think he's the one that I see. He's 5'11", 200 pounds, has that chip on his shoulder, runs a little violent, and he can run with, he can break away. I, I, I just think that he's gonna be that breakout guy for us this year. Yeah, Curry is a true north-south runner, um, which is why I put him in that top three because that's. You know, that's not a, the type of runner that Clyde uh, is. 
And so when Curry comes in, he's lowering his shoulder, no matter who's there. I don't think he's scared of anybody. A lot of people are comparing him to a Marshawn Lynch. And if you could even get, you know, a 75% Marshawn Lynch um, in Chris Curry's career, you're going to have a guy that is very similar to a guy like Spencer Ware, um, a guy that's not afraid to lower his shoulder and bulldoze over people. Right. So does the prolific kicker, transfer kicker, does he make an impact? He has to. Um, You know, you had missed extra points. You had missed field goals that were inside of the 30. Uh, You had a lot of issues at kicker. You know, you rotated your kickers, you tried to find an answer, and you couldn't find one. Um, Cole Tracy, from what I've seen, the guy can hit 50-yard field goals uh, from the practice field. I'm not sure if the two guys you had before Cole Tracy showed up could have knocked a 50-yard field goal down. <laughs> so, who – this is and, – and this may go this, – sometimes this gets lost on people on the special teams game – who will be the kickoff specialist? Will we will we see time in and time out balls falling short of the end zone this year? Um, I, you know, I, I could see a guy like Cole Tracy being your your kickoff specialist because um, he has the leg to do it. You know, last year you had a guy that had issues uh, getting the ball Damn. to the to the end zone. Yeah, I mean, he kicked the ball out of bounds a couple of times. Um, so hopefully we, we don't have that situation again because, I mean, you can see people booing if that happens whenever we go to kick the ball off. Yeah, that just irked me all year. It was like, this thing is going to fall at the 10, and it's shot, shot every time. <laughs> so what do you think about this recruiting class that we got, that he's got? Because it, it came out of nowhere. We, we're all scratching our head like, man, are we going to make a move up the chart? Or, and then all of a sudden, boom, after – the, uh, the the summer camp, just like everybody was just jumping on board. You know, the hot thing for LSU this year was that we want to join the Tigers recruiting class. You know, commits, uh, not commits, but recruits were saying, man, what's going on with LSU? They're the hot team. Um, and if you want to go over there, you better go fast because they're running out of position, uh, running out of spots for guys to join this class. And it really starts with, you know, a big guy and Cardell Thomas, a five-star. Um, he's ranked According to 247 is the number 28 player in the country. Uh, you go and you get a guy like Derek Stingley who has all the intangibles, looks just like a Patrick Peterson coming out of high school. So you have a very talented um, recruiting class. And you have to commend Ogeron for this. Uh, we talked about Les Miles not wanting to go and, and get offensive tackles. And, and that was the position of need. Les didn't always address uh, positions on the depth chart that were thin, weak, or needed some upgrading. Ogeron has gone out and done that. Cornerback was an issue going into this year, and I could see LSU having six cornerbacks in this 2019 class. Uh, they still have some talented guys that they're looking at, uh, or, or more so looking at them, and uh, two receivers from um, north of Lake Pontchartrain, and uh, Devontae Lee, and I'm trying to think of the other guy's name. I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, you have the Ishmael Softer that's up there as well. And, you know, the running back position is interesting because they have a guy already on uh, in this recruiting class, but they're also targeting two, you know, highly touted running backs in John Emery and Noah Kane. Uh, so running back is another position that people were talking about that, you know, needs to be addressed. And, and look at Ogeron is addressing that position as well. Trey Palmer is that other receiver um, from Kentwood, Louisiana. 
I, from what I've heard, uh, is that LSU is going to land both of those receivers. Um, and, and things for Emory, who's announcing in a couple of weeks, they're trending in LSU's favor. So this recruiting class really has the potential to be a top three class in the country when it's all said and done. Um, and, I, you know, you're talking about summer camp. Something that's helped with that is that early signing period. Uh, a lot of guys see that they need to hop on to a recruiting class early in the process and they can't wait until national signing day uh, unless, you know, they're a top 15, top 20 player in the country because those spots aren't going to be there. Uh, and you, you've seen what Ed has done last year, not being able to fill every single spot in the recruiting class. Uh, I don't think he does that this year. I, I think he, you go in with a full recruiting class and not only that, a very talented recruiting class. And uh, with that being said, I really don't see LSU losing any of these guys that have committed to him right now. The, the trend has been like he's hit his home, his, his strength of making sure that that D-line and that O-line is taken care of early and often. Um, I like the big fella, uh, Cordell Thomas, just watching his film. Now, he has this body that needs work, that needs to be sculpting. And, and I think our, our strength and conditioning program will, Moffitt will fix that. Um, do you see him, if he gets in early or comes in the fall, actually impacting going into next year? Or he's, he's going to be that guy that's going to red shirt and get stronger and, and, and cough his body out a little bit better? You know, I actually had Cardell Thomas on our show uh, a couple of months ago. And I asked him, I said, you know, you're working to get there early. It's like, you know, I'm working on it right now. I'm trying to get the classes dealt with so I can get in there um, in, in January and work out with this program and participate in spring drills. And if he does that, you could see Cardell making an impact as a freshman, whether it be that extra lineman that comes in. Um, but, you know, I really don't see him being a guy that takes a red shirt. I, I really think he gets some playing time early on. And his ultimate goal is to get to the NFL. So with his talent and, you know, what all the videos we've seen this summer from him, um, if that translates well to the college game, uh, Cardell's probably going to be gone after three years. So you need to use his ability, uh, you know, as much as LSU can. Um, but you have to remember, too, LSU does have a lot of depth on that offensive line. So he's going to have to work to get a position, but I know he wants to be starting as a freshman. Yeah, he's, he has such a mean, nasty streak. I just can't see just that demeanor. I just see it. You love that to see that in the lineman, and I hope he does play often and early. It looks like y'all uh, y'all got like uh, the number one linebacker that's probably uh, projected to go in the draft this year. Who is um, – what's your linebacker core at LSU looking like this year? You know – the front seven in a whole is the strength of this defense. And you look at linebacker position that, uh, you know, we're talking about positions that have been weak and getting addressed. Linebacker was the position that was addressed very well with the LSU coaching staff through recruiting. Uh, Devin White, I, I mean, he's getting all these preseason accolades, putting being put on his watch list for all these awards, and, and de deservedly so. You know, before last year, people were saying, where's Devin White? Uh, where's this guy that we recruited that's supposed to be, you know, be this animal? And last year he comes out and he is the tackling machine. The offense will, uh, not the offense, the defense will funnel the ball into Devin White because he can make those tackles. Um, and, and not only Devin White, but you look at guys like Jacob Phillips, a five-star recruit. Um, he has just as much ability as Devin White 
Uh, both guys are fast. A guy like Michael Divinity is also a speed guy. And with LSU running a 3-4, you have to talk about a guy like uh, Calavion Chasson, um, who's going to be coming off the edge and, and is just like a guy like Arden Key. Um, but some people say he's quicker. I'm not sure if he has the size yet to be able to make a lot of impact in that pass rush, but he definitely has the speed to be disruptive. So I look at the LSU linebacker core, and not only the, the top four guys, but even back behind them, and you know some guys that LSU got that are going to be sophomores, some guys they got under Ed Ogeron, his first recruiting class, are going to be you know chomping at the bit to get some playing time from your four starters that are set in stone right now. Uh, so I look at LSU having you know a, a top three linebacker core in the SEC this year. So do you think? Does Jacob Phillips play a big role this year? Because including the three, the other two guys that came behind him, do you think they play a major role in supporting the starters? You know, I think Jacob Phillips is a starter this year. I think he's your uh, starting middle linebacker this year. And you know, guys behind them, I, I look at a guy like Patrick Queen. Uh, you look at a guy like Tyler Taylor. Um, those guys, and even a guy like Andre Anthony, those guys are chomping at the bit to get some starting time. And, you know, if they get any playing time, I, you see guys like that stepping in and, and taking advantage of their opportunity and, you know, maybe pushing one of these starters kind of out of the way. But, I mean, your top two guys right now are Jacob Phillips and Devin White. And to me, that's pretty much set in stone. Where does that put Ray Thorne and Andre Anthony? It's like Andre Anthony was like this freak. And I just thought he was, he just reminded me so much of uh, uh, the key. He reminded me of him. I don't understand why he hasn't propelled yet into that, into that dominant role like I thought he would. You know, the thing that Andre Anthony faced is he was playing behind great guys. Um, you see him behind Chasson this year, um, or Chason. Um, and that's where he's going to be this year. But Andre Anthony's going to get a lot of playing time. That's going to be a position that I think is rotated. So expect a lot of impact from a guy like that um, from your buck linebacker position. So deep. So basically, in your word, in your eyes, defense will carry this team this year. I think so because you don't know what Joe Burrow is going to do. You don't know what Ensminger's true offense is going to look like, and it, there's a lot of unknowns. Um, the front seven is nasty. You know, I, it could be the best in the SEC, if not, um, you know, one of the best in the country. And I really think that this defense has all of the makings to be a true top 10 defense in college football. Now, will the offense, you know, be able to be, per se, average? That's the big question. Um, but if the defense can stay off the field, you know, the offense doesn't have these drives that are three and outs. Or, or short drives and gets the defense some rest. I really see this defense being one of the best in the country. I agree. I, I just think, for me, that the two keys for this off, well, three keys for me would be quarterback play, coaches, staff playing to their strengths, and that defense stepping up and and being the force that I think that they will be to carry us over, get us get us over the hump until Barrow gets into that groove of of being an SEC quarterback. Cause it's I don't care what anybody says, it's different playing in the SEC versus playing in, in any other conference. It's just brutal. So I think once he gets his his sea legs in in that regards. I really think it's nine and ten win season. I really think so. I don't think it's a national championship team, but I think nine and ten is a 
a fair number. Um, eight would be because we just, like you said, we just weren't ready for it. But but we're getting long in the tooth on time. Chris, I really want to thank you uh, for coming on the show. Uh, I have one question. We Guys at, at Talker Brothers, we, we have behind the scenes what we call the off-season police blot award of the year. So looking at the landscape of college football <laughs> right now, who do you think is winning the off-season police blotter championship right now? Cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, I, not hearing a lot from Alabama this year in terms of that kind of has to give Alabama the award just because I'm surprised. But, um, you know, there, there's there's been some stuff that, that's happened off the field in the past with them that, you know, you kind of wonder, man, is, how is Nick Saban getting away with some of these players still playing? At any other university, they'd be in trouble uh, with their off-field issues. But I guess Alabama should get mine because they've done a good job of not being in trouble. <laughs> or just hiding it pretty well, right? Or hiding it pretty well, yeah. <laughs> Well, for me, my right now, my leading candidate for the off-season police blot award is is the Florida Gators. I mean, I just just hit my phone. The incoming freshman wide receiver Justin Watkins, uh, he was just arrested for the second time this off-season for for uh, domestic abuse and strangulation. So, and then you have the murder case with uh, Janoris Jenkins. I just think that they're number one right now for me. And anytime I can kick Florida. I'm always going to do it. So I agree. <laughs> Tennessee just had an arrest. Uh, they just dismissed the guy in Ryan Saxton, um, who had a domestic assault arrest. And was apparently uh, trying to stop his, I guess it was his girlfriend from leaving and pretty much blocking her in. Uh, so I think that was his second arrest. Um, and so, you know, Tennessee gets an audible mention as well. <laughs> who, you, who you got smashed? <laughs> I got Florida. You know I got Florida all day, every day. I hate them with a passion, so. Is there is there a little bias in that? We both agree that we hate Florida, so, because he's a big Florida State fan. That's why I, I, y'all y'all can see me putting on the purple gold or rooting for y'all this year when y'all play Florida and uh, Texas A&M. Um, I'm going to write that down because you I'm going to make sure that you put some purple and gold on. Now, here's here's what we got. One more one more question, uh Charles. One more question. Are you an avid cornhole player? I have played some cornhole. I wouldn't say that I'm an avid player though. I I I, I do think, you know, cornhole is one of those games where you're required to hold a drink in your hand. Um whether it be your right or left, I don't think it really matters. And, and I think that cornhole is a game where you get a nice little buzz going. I think you get better at cornhole. Because, you know, I we had just our previous show, we discussed the cornhole uh, situation. And most brothers don't play cornhole. I say you see it more at, like, LSU, Alabama, those type of games. You don't see it much more at the HBCU Southern Grambling type games. So, and he's, and Smash is an avid cornhole player. So I just wanted to, I'm just going to take a poll throughout the whole year on, on how many cornhole players there are out there that actually takes it real serious. So I, I'm like, I'm like you probably, Charles. I, if it's passing, I'll play it, but it's not something that I'm, I'm looking forward to. Like, you know, I got to seek out. I'm seeking out more of the tailgate eats and fun 
versus cornhole? You know, I, I'm a competitive person. I played sports in high school, so exactly. when it comes to a game, I mean, I, I'm going to go all out now. Right. Now, when the, you know the drinking kind of comes involved, that's why I think you get a little bit better because you're not trying so hard. You're a little bit more relaxed, but um, <laughs> it, it's something to do with a tailgate. You know, that tailgating in the SEC is is unmatchable by any other conference. I, you know, I really think tailgating the SEC is is better than any other sport. Um, no matter where you go, I think tailgating is top notch. You know, some places are better than others, and, and cornhole just adds another aspect. Uh, if y'all ever want to meet up and throw some bags, just let me know. Give <laughs> you some practice. <laughs> we'll link up at some point in time this season. I, my schedule permit, I definitely want to get down to Baton Rouge and get some games. I definitely want to link up with you guys and you know talk shop a little bit more in person. If, for our listeners that want to reach out and reach out to you guys and uh, listen to your show, where can we? Where can they find you? Uh, for the sports show itself, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Prime time pod bwt uh you can find the bros who think network at bros who think um on twitter facebook and on soundcloud we're also on itunes under the same thing and uh we should soon be on google play spotify and podbean um and as well as the youtube channel for you ladies listening you can check out danielle's stuff on our youtube channel which is can also be found at bros who think network uh and bros who think has no spaces in between them any closing words there, Smash? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just want to uh, – I was going to come out and attack you real hard because being an LSU fan, but Charles, when I, when I started asking I'm you the question – I'm surprised he didn't, man. He let you off easy, Charles. <laughs> it's because he knew his stuff, man. I, I... If you have a burning question, <laughs> go ahead and ask it, you know. If you have a really difficult one, I, I can answer it I think it he's for not – you know, he's on a, 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 a non-drinking – uh, binge right now so he's not drinking so I think he's just not being himself right now because I, I figured he was going to come out smoking give you all kind of crazy questions now, but mama, he took it easy on you I'm surprised mama always said be nice to your guests so they come back so I want him to come back and then the next time I'm going to make him feel real at home with the questions because then we'll see what's going on <laughs> but now um, I like what y'all doing with the uh your uh, network man the bros who think network I, I really like that i'll be uh definitely tuning in to y'all and i hope our fans do too our listeners um good thing and thank you for coming on the show today Charles. yeah thank y'all for having me so with that being said much love and we out you just listened to a talker brothers podcast short now back to your regular schedule programming peace